Welcome to One Door at a Time, our initial podcast for Concentric Educational Solutions. My name is Dr. David Heber. I'm the CEO and founder of Concentric. And we've been doing this one door at a time since 2010. Here at Concentric, we focus on three primary things. We focus on home visits, uh, which is R1. It's on the ground. It's how we understand and how we connect with students, families, and community. We do mentoring. What do we do with that information and those barriers that we understand during home visits and that we, that we experience and that's shared with us? What do we do with those students? How do we support those students in school? And now we do tutoring because we know because of the pandemic, tutoring and, uh, is so essential because of academic learning loss. And we were looking at this holistic approach of how we're gonna support students. And I hope to find throughout this journey of one door at a time to bring just a host of people to be able to bring in different perspectives about what they're experiencing on the ground. And I think through this journey, we're going to learn a lot and we'll be able to say things and uh, speak truth and speak our power about all the things that have been going on and what we've been experiencing from so many different lenses, from the lens of teachers, from the lens of students, from the lens of practitioners, to the lens of principals, to the lens of even superintendents. And through this journey and through this narrative, this tapestry that we're gonna weave through these stories and these narratives, we're really gonna be able to get at the gist of all the challenges that our students and our, uh, and our communities and our schools face. And it's, it's gonna be a wonderful journey. Uh, Concentric started in earnest in 2010. Uh, and it started because of not no, a grand idea that I was going to start something revolutionary. It was basic, basically my understanding of what we were hearing our students uh, speak about. And those stories that we were hearing connect to the very fabric of why I went into education. And it touches on the story and the narrative that I have for my, for my life. So I went to the first HBCU, Lincoln University. I graduated with a triple major in history, black studies and education. And when I came out, I just knew I wanted to be an attorney. I thought that was the way. And the reason I wanted to be an attorney is because of all the things that I experienced uh, between the time I was 17 to the time I was 20. And I thought that was going to be my calling. And so I went through uh, undergrad thinking, okay, when I get out, I will go to Temple University, go to law school, and then come out and help those very same students that, uh, that, that I was when I was going through high school. But those plans, although the plans that we usually have for ourselves are not always our higher calling or the or the calling that are, are, that God has for us. And so when I was getting ready to apply, regardless of all the accolades that I accomplished at Lincoln, whether it was Mr. Lincoln, Kappa Alpha Psi, whether it was making the Dean's List, uh, I had a blemish, I had a very big blemish on my record. And that record was having multiple felonies. And the, those felonies ranged from assault to even to burglary. And those those blemishes, impacted what happened at uh, Lincoln has followed. They've followed me throughout my journey, even into my professional um, life. And it's something that I'm not ashamed of and that, that I own. They're the scars that allow us to do this work. Those are, those, those are the scars that have brought me into this work. And I feel to be able to connect and have empathy for the students and the communities that we serve. So 
when I got uh, ready to graduate and I was told basically if I went to law school, I would be able to uh, graduate law school but not practice law, I decided to do, go to Temple uh, Grad School for African American Studies. And I had the, you, uh, the amazing pleasure uh, and privilege to study, study under Malefe Asante. And Malefe Asante, for all those who do not, do not know, he's the modern day father of Afrocentricity. And you may ask, what is Afrocentricity? Afrocentricity is in earnest placing African-Americans and Africans of the diaspora at the center of social phenomena. It's studying what we've experienced from our lens and from our perspective and not any outside views. And it really taught me a lot about how do we approach this work or any work that we, might, that we may go into, that we cannot approach it from an, an outsider's perspective, but we have got to ground it in the very people or the very... Um, uh, the, the various things that we're trying to change and the people that we're trying to help. And so through my journey through Temple Law School, and uh, Temple Grad School, I'm sorry, um, I had to really decide what I was going to do next with these blemishes on my record. So I remember speaking to Dr. Asante, and he said, uh, well, what do you, what do you want to do? And I said, well, we'll probably come back at the college level and, and be a professor. And he said, well, I think you can make more impact because of your story in education in K-12. And so I started that journey to be a teacher. And I started uh, as a teacher at Forest Park High School uh, right here in Baltimore City. And it was through that lens speaking to students. And I remember one of my students, I had seniors my, uh, as a as a first year teacher, just them being very honest and transparent about all the things that they were experiencing, that despite what I may have experienced, they had experienced so much more um, and the depth of it and the, and, the, and, the, and the scope of it was so powerful. And it wasn't like just one traumatic incident that they experienced. It was just over and over this, this thing of complex trauma that they had to deal with and still wake up and come to school and give their best efforts. So I, I started as a teacher, and then I went to Southwestern High School uh, the very next year. And that's where I was asked to be an administrator. And uh, I, was one, I was the youngest assistant principal of six. And it was through the experience as an assistant principal. And I always say, and I truly believe this, that assistant principals have such a unique lens in the building, is that although they're administrators, they are so closely connected, not just to the students, but to the teachers and the community without being so disconnected as principals sometimes, because they're, they're literally on the ground every day. And I learned so much through that, through each of the uh, assistant principals who were my colleagues and all of them had been in education longer than I had been alive. And so I learned so much from scheduling to special education, to managing facilities, to being a professional where you're coming every day, showing up for students and giving them the, what they needed every single day and not taking a day off. And then the over, overall guiding uh, leadership of Dr. Joyce Jennings, rest in peace who uh, taught me so much just from the lens of being an administrator and holding myself accountable, uh, no matter if it was good or bad or indifferent, that I had to make sure that as the building leader that I was responsible. And through that journey, uh, I just continue to really think about how are schools structured to help students? Is it really about the students or is it really about the adults? 
And so when my time came to an end in Baltimore, and I'm so greatly indebted to Baltimore and the lessons that she has taught me, that I took those lessons to D.C. When, when I left uh, Baltimore and went to D.C. as director of student support services, student support services was this very broad and nebulous thing that lacked definition. But the, one of the things I knew that we had to bring to it was how do we put students at the center and all these other supports around the student? How do we physically align what was happening in the school around what students needed? Not from our perspective as adults or even as educators, but from their perspective based upon what they were telling us. And so as we were going through that, as I was going through that journey and redefining kind of what student support services looked like for us, there was a tragedy in 2007. And that tragedy uh, in Washington, D.C. was the Benita Jacks tragedy. And unfortunately, it was where a mother killed her four daughters. And her four daughters attended four different schools. And they had basically gone missing in November. And without much uh, documentation, support, intervention on file that or outreach that schools or other agencies should have done. So in January, in March, uh, there was a knock, there was a visit by U.S. Marshals to the Benita Jacks home. And when, when the U.S. Marshals went there, they, had a, uh, they smelled a very powerful odor, a stench coming from upstairs. And they end up going inside the home. And what they found was the uh, four bodies de completely decomposed of the daughters. And those were the daughters of Benita Jacks. And what, was, what, what later came out as things uh, uh, un, un, kind of unraveled or, or came, to, uh, came to light was that the schools and other agencies, it just wasn't the schools, did not do their due diligence, not just from, from a compliance standpoint, but from a proactive standpoint about what were the warning signs that, were, that these students were showing early on that would have prompted a home visit or prompted deeper inquiry. And we took, I took that lesson, I brought that lesson back to my team. And we would, I would meet weekly with my team and just say, what do we know about our students? What are they telling us? Are we listening intently from what they're saying about what we should do to be supportive of them? And as we developed this more aligned, uh, interconnected approach to student support services, I was... I was propositioned by New Schools Venture Fund. And New School Venture Fund is still operating today. They're a, a, a large uh, uh, company, uh, venture philanthropy firm out of uh, California. And they've done a, a many wonderful things. But in 2010, they had not diversified. And I was one of the very first people uh, of color to get a startup grant. And that was because of the things that we were doing uh, uniquely uh, for student support services. Because up to that time, New School Venture Fund, quite frankly, was uh, investing in the good old boys, as, uh, as we call them in education. Teach, Teach for America, TNTP, uh, Wireless Generation, Achievement Network. These were the uh, organizations that traditionally get funded. And they're not, although they may be minority run, they're not minority owned. And so to break through and get the initial funding um, because of our approach and because of the outcomes we were getting, it was, it was very powerful. And from that initial grant, we grew. It was very hard. Uh, it's been a challenge. Uh, we're looking at 13 years in, uh, 
we are 300,000 home visits in, in states across this country. We have knocked on doors seven days a week, 365 days a year in all types of weather. And what that, what those visits have done for us is just allow us to weave together these stories, these amazing narratives of triumphs and resiliency that our students have experienced. And we, we've come back and we share these stories with the stakeholders. And as we've grown from the home visits to the mentoring, the tutoring, it's an all-encompassing way of how do we move students. So then the question might ask, or the, the question may be asked, what was the blemish? Or what was the narrative that kind of pushes me to do this work and try to highlight the work that needs to, that continuously needs to be done? I was a quote unquote star athlete in, in Newcastle, Delaware in the early 90s. I was one of the best runners in the state. Uh, I was fortunate. I was, in, I felt entitled. And my world quickly changed in December of 1993 four days before Christmas, when my caregivers, my, uh, my grandparent, my grandfather, my grandmother, um, my grandfather, uh, four days before Christmas, had a massive heart attack, uh, literally a half a mile from my high school and while he was Christmas shopping. And from that traumatic event, things just escalated um, and steamrolled where six months later, my grandmother was diagnosed with cancer and a brain tumor. And with those two tragedies uh, bookending, uh, no support in between, I end up going to prison. And it was there in prison that I learned so much. It was there in prison that I got my GED and my high school diploma. It was there in prison where I listened and understood and, and, and got a glance into all the challenges that I had not gone through in uh, growing up. I was sheltered in, in, uh, in many respects. And it really started changing my perspective, even uh, while I was in prison, for what was going to happen going forward. So, the podcast. What do we hope to accomplish? What we hope to accomplish is, as we go down this journey, this path together, there's going to be a variety of guests. There's going to be a, a variety of perspectives. There's going to be discourse. There's going to be disagreement. There's going to be growth. There's going to be emotional uh, sharing. There's going to be tears shed because this is a hard journey. Life is challenging. Life is challenging as an adult and it's damn sure challenging as a, as a child who is not given or has not experienced the overall life, uh, what, just like what life throws at them to get through. So as we bring people on and we share our, uh, our experiences and we share our perspectives, we want to be able to speak to the things that are relevant to what students are going through, but then also what educators are going through. And we want to be honest and we want to be transparent without the fear of recourse or, or, or offending people that, we, that actually might even employ us. We gotta be able to be honest with ourselves so that we can be honest with our students and that so that we can be honest with our, uh, our families and be honest with our schools. And that's what this podcast will do. And we're gonna do it not in a grand scope. We're not going to try to tackle the bureaucracy of systems. What we're going to do is we're going to approach it like we approach this work, one door at a time, one episode at a time, one story at a time, one perspective at a time, one student at a time.
So I look forward to everyone joining in every other week. I know that we are going to uh, bring so much, uh, I think, insight, experience, and perspective and light to all the challenges that are out there in the education. And we may dabble into some other things that, that impact education that sometimes may not get uh, spoken about. These, the, the proverbial elephants in the room, why, they're not, why things are not being addressed, whether it's, from fun, uh, whether it's funding or being a community-based uh, organization and you're just trying to make it from paycheck to paycheck or payroll to payroll. These are all the things that are impacting uh, education in general, but specifically in urban education. So I appreciate everybody. I appreciate every uh, appreciate everyone tuning in. I appreciate everyone wanting to join. It's going to be an intimate setting. We will be very vulnerable. We'll be very honest and candid. And we hope that you will too. And be sure you can go to concentric.world to see all of our social media, our podcasts, and all the information in the uh, media that we're putting out there and the contents. Because the content will shape the story of the what we will shape the story of what we're trying to tell. See you soon.